Good evening and welcome to Salt and Blight. I'm Davinda Skoltz and in the studio today we've got a special guest, Advocate Nadine Bardenhorst from the Legal Council of Freedom of Religion South Africa, or SA. We will be talking about some of the threats that we as Christians are facing in South Africa today and what we can do to make sure our religious freedom remains protected. Nadine, what is religious freedom? Hello, Delinda. Um, thank you for the opportunity to speak about Forisa and the work we do. So a very good question to start with. Uh, religious freedom is something that we as South Africans so easily take for granted because we know it's a right in our constitution, but we don't always know what it means. And it means the right to not only believe in our hearts, whatever we want to believe or not believe, and in the case of us as Christians, the whole Bible, um, but it also includes the right to freely say what we believe, whether it's from the pulpit, whether it's on social media, whether it's sharing with a neighbor, colleague, a friend, and then also importantly, the right to live out our beliefs and not just do that in the privacy of homes or in the church, but out there in the marketplace, um, in our schools, on campuses, at the workplace. And it's particularly those last two components that are under threat in South Africa as around the Western world, because increasingly the message is believe in your heart, whatever you want to believe, but religious freedom includes all of those things. Nadine, who is 4SA? Can you tell us more about the work that you do? Yes. So 4SA, Delina, as you said, stands for Freedom of Religion South Africa, 4SA. And we are not a law firm, but we are a legal advocacy or lobby group. And we specifically work to protect and promote this constitutional right to religious freedom in South Africa so that people are free to share their faith and to live out their faith. And really what we do is we work to keep the doors for the gospel in South Africa um, as wide open for as long as possible so that many more people can, can hear the good news about Jesus Christ and come to the Lord. And, and what we do is we work in mainly three arenas. So we look at policies that come out from government and we see are there any potential threats to religious freedom and then we'll make submissions to government. Um, we'll also do the same thing with legislation. We look at new laws that are coming up from parliament and we see is there any potential threat there for religious freedom and then again we'll make suggestions as to how the law should be changed so that our freedom remains protected and then of course increasingly um, we find that people of faith churches christians individual christians are being said something or did something that was scriptural that somebody else didn't like or didn't agree with or found offensive. And so then we get involved in those court cases, again, specifically to protect our right to freely share. Can you tell us where you started with 4SA, the heart of 4SA? Sure. Yes. So 4SA started in 2014, actually, already. So it's our eighth year that we're going. And the organization started when the church that I'm part of in Cape Town, uh, we are an evangelical multi-site church. And when my church was taken to the Human Rights Commission, um, not for preaching or doing, doing anything weird or unscriptural, um, but simply because we, we taught um, the scripture specifically on discipline of children. And um, there's an atheist couple who lives in the area of the church and they took offense against these scriptures. And they regarded those scriptures dealing with discipline of children um, actually as abuse of children and so this wasn't any actual instance of abuse or even you know um, disciplining a child it was simply because those scriptures were part of a training manual that we gave to parents about how to be better parents godly parents for their children 
and the Human Rights Commission investigated our church, and they basically said that we may never preach those scriptures again. Our pastors must go for sensitization training, and we must remove those scriptures from any of the church's documents or manuals. And immediately we realized that this issue was not about should we spank or shouldn't we spank, but it was about the right of the church and about the right of Christians and Christian parents in particular to read and interpret those scriptures for themselves and themselves between them and God to make up their minds about what the scriptures do or do not say. Because if the state can today tell us how to interpret the scriptures around discipline in the home, tomorrow it can be about something else. It can be about whether God created us male and female, about human sexuality, about whether Jesus is the only true God. And so we really decided, and it was at that stage that um, we started the organization Freedom of Religion South Africa to protect the right to religious freedom in South Africa. And now it's eight years later. Yeah, Nadine, some people would argue that persecution is good for the church. Why fight against it? How would you answer to that? Would you say that persecution is always good for the church? Very good question, Elena. It's a question that I always get asked because people often refer to China and they say, look how the church is thriving, the persecuted church in China. And that might be the case in China, but under persecution in Russia, the church died. So persecution isn't always good for the church. And indeed, how much better is it to live in a country where we are free to share the good news of Jesus Christ with our friends, with our neighbors, with our colleagues at work, without the fear that the next moment the police is going to knock on our door and you know, either the father or the mother or whoever is going to be dragged away to jail and not knowing you know, what's going to happen or being able to provide for the rest of the family. So, no, I think we can often um, almost idealize um, persecution, but you know, if you have to speak to people who actually live in those conditions, it, it really is not as rosy-colored a picture. And, and the second part of the answer to that, I would say, is you know, there's actually a, a model for what we are doing in the Bible. When you look at Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was a Roman citizen. And when he was basically stopped from almost spreading the gospel, he relied on his rights as a Roman citizen to be able to keep that opportunity open to, to share the gospel. And he did that numerous times when he was flogged without hearing and sent to jail. That happened twice. And he said, no, I'm a, I'm a Roman citizen. You're not allowed to do that. And even when he exercised his right of appeal to Caesar, it was to keep the door for the gospel open. And in the same way in South Africa, we've been given democratic rights. And one of those rights is to participate in the lawmaking process, the laws that ultimately govern us. And so like Paul, we must use those rights to push back on ungodly legislation. Why? To keep the door for the gospel as far open, as wide open for as long as possible so that more people can come to Christ. Nadine, can you give us an example of a government policy that 4SA is currently working on where religious freedom is threatened? Yes. So right now we are working on a marriage, a draft marriage policy that has been released by the Department of Home Affairs. Now, South Africa has never had a marriage policy, and this is the first of its kind. And the purpose of the policy is to basically bring all the different kinds of marriages in South Africa on equal footing. So that there's the same legal requirements that applies to every kind of marriage, whether it's a monogamous marriage, a polygamous marriage, a religious marriage, a um, opposite sex marriage or a same sex marriage so that they are all equal before the law. But one of the very problematic aspects in that policy is that there is the proposal 
that religious marriage offices may potentially be forced to solemnize marriages, all marriages, even if it goes against their religious convictions and beliefs. In other words, a Christian pastor who's a marriage officer may, for instance, be forced by law to solemnize a polygamous marriage or a LGBT marriage or even a Muslim marriage or a mixed Christian and Hindu marriage, even if it goes against his or her own convictions or that of the church. So clearly that is a major violation of religious freedom and therefore for his eyes involved in that policy and will be making submissions on that policy to say no, that is a violation of religious freedom and the law should be, all the policies should be changed. We also understand that the same draft policy recently came under fire in parliament because it opposes that a woman should be able to marry more than one man. Yes, so that has caused quite an uproar in parliament recently, but also just amongst the general public. Um, now, of course, in South Africa, we already have, among some of the indigenous people, um, we have polygamy. And basically, the polygamy is where one man is able to marry more than one woman. It was called polygyny, actually, is the right word. So the argument is, well, if one man is already in South African law allowed to marry one, more than one woman, why shouldn't the same in the name of equality apply for women? Why shouldn't women be allowed to marry more than one man, polyandry? So that is the argument, and some people are upset about that. But I think even more concerning than that is the knock-on effect that it will have. Because if we're saying, well, one man can marry more than one woman, and one woman can marry more than one man, in a country where same-sex marriage is also already recognized, it also means that one man will be able to marry more than one man, and one woman will be able to marry more than one woman, or we would be able to have any combination almost of males or females in one family context, you know, whole smart box of relationships. And so obviously for many Christians, that is very problematic, you know, particularly if one thinks that circumstances that children would be able to grow up in family being the bedrock of society so yes so we do encourage the public to also before the 30th of june make submissions on this marriage policy use your democratic rights and say why you do not agree with some of the proposals that are being made and that are major threats um, to family values judeo-christian values but also to religious freedom in south africa now, you also mentioned that 4SA gets involved in court cases where religious freedom is threatened. Can you mention one or two of the cases that you're busy with right now? Yeah, sure. So the one case that I'm involved in, which should be going to court soon, is the Beloktobus case. It's a case of a, a wedding venue that is owned by two Christian people, man and a woman, Christian business owners. And they believe that marriage, according to the Bible, is between a man and a woman. And so when a same-sex couple came and said, well, we all we don't want to get married at your wedding venue, they said, we're so sorry, but because for us, marriage is between a man and a woman to participate in, you know, kind of hosting that event on our property, something that's contrary to the scripture, for us would be a violation of what we believe. And we believe that we ourselves may stand guilty before God. And so they've not actually been taken to, to court by the South African Human Rights Commission, but also by the same-sex couple who are sued them for two million rand. And so Corey's Eye has assisted in, in that case. And then we also, for instance, busy with the case against government on the lockdown regulations, because as we know, there was a time in December and January when, when other gatherings were allowed to continue, but the church was completely shut down. There was a ban on religious gatherings. And we say 
that is unfair discrimination against the religious community. And it's important to set a precedent because apparently there are gonna be more waves of this pandemic. And we cannot be in a situation again where casinos are allowed to operate, you know, people can eat in restaurants, but they cannot go to church. So it's important that we establish a legal precedent as to the when government may interfere with churches and to what extent, um, under what legal condition. That, those are just two examples, but there are a number of cases that we're involved in. To think about the reasoning behind these regulations, when one applies it to the religious situations, there definitely seems to be unfair weights and balances on these regulations that makes one think. Why is the government enforcing these regulations that undermine our freedom in the first place? Um, turning then to legislation, Forest A has raised the alarm about the new bill that government is proposing, the Papuda Amendment Bill. What is this bill about and why should we be concerned? Good. Yeah, so this is probably the burning point at the moment and um, increasingly getting momentum in the media as well. So... The Papuna Amendment Bill is a bill that proposes to change existing legislation, the existing Papuda Act. And that act stands for the um, Promotion of Equality and the Prevention of Unfair Discrimination Act, or just in general, we say the Equality Act. And what that act, which has already been law since 2000, what that act does is it promotes equality in South Africa. So it makes sure that everyone is equal before the law. And it also places a provision on unfair discrimination by the state or by anyone else against another person. So you may not unfairly discriminate against anyone just because they're of a different race or of a different language or different sexual orientation or belief. Um, and who, I mean, everyone wants that. We, we don't want to live in a country where there's inequality and unfair discrimination. Problem is that already this act, as it currently stands, is being used as a club <laughs> in the hands of anti-religion and particularly anti-Christian activists who use this act to take Christian churches and just individual Christians, pastors, individual saints, business people, professional people to court simply because they don't like what has been said based on the scripture or what has been done based on the scripture. And so, so they use it in order to silence people of faith or to force them by law to compromise on their deeply held beliefs. And what this amendment bill will do is it will basically just make the situation a whole lot worse. And the way in which it will do that is, for instance, it stretches the definition of firstly equality. And equality will no longer mean just equal treatment before the law, but it means everyone will have equal access to opportunities, to benefits, to membership, to leadership, um, to employment. So you can make no distinction even on grounds of religious convictions. So that may mean that say a Christian business or a church may be forced to accept members or appoint people in leadership or even um, appoint people as employees who have completely different convictions to their own because everyone has to be equal in every way. I mean, that is just <laughs> yeah, untenable. And then the same with the definition of discrimination. Um, it stretches the definition of discrimination so far that it goes beyond the ordinary definition of discrimination to say, if somebody simply feels hurt by something that someone else had said or had done, that would be enough to establish discrimination and for a person to open up a court case against you. So you can imagine already where, where people regard so many of the Christian beliefs as fundamentalist or politically incorrect. Now the test has become completely subjective and you can speak the truth without any intention 
even to discriminate. But simply because someone says, I don't agree with that, I don't like what you're saying, or my feelings have been hurt, they can take you to court. And basically what this bill also says is that the state will then fund that person that opens up the legal case, will fund the legal case. Whereas you, against you, whom the case has been opened up as a church or a Christian, you have to pay for the litigation out of your own pocket. And basically, you will almost have no defense. It will not be a defense to say, well, I rely on my religious convictions. Because the way the act has been written, or the bill, um, what, the bill, what the bill wants to do is to weigh it so much in the favor of the person who says, I feel I've been discriminated against, that almost, yeah, you almost have zero, <laughs> zero prospects of success if you say, well, my defense is religious convictions. That's just one of the concerns. Um, yeah, but it is indeed a very, very dangerous dangerous bill that will put a target on the back of every Christian, every religious organization, every Christian business. It's heroizing to hear about this legislation. Yeah, it is stretching the definition of discrimination based on people's feelings and how these legislations could intimidate God's people to silence them, to cause them to compromise and submit to fear is basically what it is because Anyone who feels slightly offended by something you say can make a case against you. They're Absolutely. Let me, let me give you two more examples. So what it does also is it says that, um, well, firstly, it says you, you don't even have to have intention to discriminate. If the person just feels hurt, then that's enough. But then it stretches also the legal liability from just the person who actually discriminated by what they said or did to saying that, um, if you can someone else who either caused or encouraged that discrimination in any way, then that person or organization will be held equally liable. So let me give you an example. Let's say a pastor preaches in a church on a Sunday and he says, Jesus is the only true God. And there had to be someone in that congregation on a Sunday and that person posts that scripture from John, from the book of John, you know, in, on, on, on social media, on Facebook. And someone else were to read that and say, this is nonsense. I don't agree with that. Maybe because they're of a different faith. Where do you hear this nonsense? And that person had to say, well, I'm just quoting my pastor. Then immediately the, they can open up a case against that person. That person had no intention to discriminate. So the legal liability is switched. It also makes employers um, responsible for the discriminatory acts of the employees. So Delinda, if you, for instance, had to ask me something during this interview, and someone had to listen to this interview and feel offended by it, they can open up a case against you, but they can also open up a case against your employer or the organization you work for, even though the organization didn't even know about this interview um, and had no intention to discriminate. So incredibly dangerous. And then the last thing that I want to mention is it will basically force every individual, every business, every church, every ministry to adopt the practices and the doctrines in line with the state's understanding of what equality and um, equality is and no unfair discrimination. So it, you have to bring your doctrines and your internal workings in line with that. And again, that will have massive ramifications for who we appoint as leaders, employees, members, you know, all of those kind of things. It will completely override institutional autonomy, um, and remember, the person who will be able to make these decisions is the same minister who issued the, the COVID regulations that shut down churches. Um, and if you as a business or as a church do not comply with those codes of practice that will be issued by the minister, there will be severe penalties. 
could include fines, could include jail time, could even include shutting down of churches. So very, very severe ramifications. That is state regulation through the front door. What can we do to push back on this bill? Very important um, question. We must push back on this bill. We don't have a lot of time. We only have until the 30th of June. But we must write to the Department of Justice. It needn't be long, but just put in something. Just put an objection to say, I don't agree with this bill because it is a major violation of religious freedom. It's a violation of you know, my rights to freely share my faith, to freely live out my faith. Um, whether as an individual or as part of a church um, and we need to we need to push back on this bill we need to make our voices heard and people can go to the forest a website where they can get the details to do that the web address is www.forsa that's f-o-r-s-a.org.za there they'll find all the details we've even prepared template submissions that people can copy paste as is send in but i want to encourage every individual to make a submission and then also every organization, every church, every um, ministry organization to make a submission. And if you are a saint, go to your pastor and say, do you know about this bill? Um, so don't just think your, your church is going to make a submission or the church you shouldn't just think the individuals are going to make submissions. We need both individuals and organizations to put in submissions before the 30th of June. Now, each submission has the power to emphasize that we as Christians are not agreeing with this because staying silent is like silently agreeing because people will automatically assume we will be submitting to these new legislations. Now, Nadine, to the skeptic listeners, what will you say? Does, does our voice actually make a difference or will the government just do what they want to do? Our voice absolutely makes a difference. As I've said, we, we've been given constitutional rights as citizens of this country to be part of the lawmaking process. And we really actually only have ourselves to blame if we, if we do not use those rights to influence the laws that govern us. So to give you two examples, uh, a good example and a bad example, um, there was another bill, another law with which some, um, we, we were engaged. And on that bill, I think the, the Liberals made about 400 submissions on, on that particular law. The Christian community made about 40 submissions. And when that bill came before Parliament, Parliament simply said, well, the people of South Africa have spoken. And that bill went through. And it was a bill that's not in favor of Christians. On the other hand, there was another bill, the hate crimes and hate speech bill, where we pushed really hard. And we, again, we rallied and we mobilized the faith community to make, make submissions. And government received um, 60 thousand submissions on that bill, the hate crimes and hate speech bill, which would have also had terrible implications for us as Christians and our ability to share our faith. And as a result of that major pushback that government received, the most of which came from the religious community, we were able to write in a clause that actually protects religious freedom. And so that is the difference that our voice can make when we all send in our submissions and say, we do not agree with this. As citizens, we need to realize that it is our constitutional right to be part of this lawmaking process, to influence the laws that governs us. If you have never acted on these rights, now is your chance to do so. Go to the 4SA website and download the template email where you can add to that you don't agree with these legislations. Christian Action is also submitting an email hopefully as one amongst thousands of listeners who will act and then send an email to the government. 
How can people also support 4SA and become more involved? Right. So firstly, people can pray for us to know we need all the free covering we can get. Um, this fight that we are engaging to protect our faith, really, and our ability to share our faith and to live out of faith is not firstly a battle against flesh and blood. It really is against powers and principalities. So we need people to, to pray for the issues we're involved in, the crisis we're involved in. But then we also need people to stand with us. Like now, where there are opportunities to make submissions on the this marriage policy that we want to bring out, or the Papuda Amendment Bill. You know, we one organization, but we are 80% Christians, <laughs> we say so often in South Africa. Now imagine each one of those people had to put in something. Then we can really make a difference. So get involved. Go, go onto our website, see what are the different acts and policies. And we often, as I said, prepare tem template submissions that people can literally just copy paste. So do your part to protect faith and freedom in South Africa. And then finally, we are a, um, a, we are a nonprofit organization. So we are 100% reliant on the voluntary contributions from, from the public for our work and to continue the work that God's given us to do to keep the doors for the gospel open in South Africa. So partner with us. Again, the details are on our website at www.forsa.org.za. Now, in response to the hate crimes and hate speech bill that received 60,000 submissions to push back and allow a clause to be written into the government law, we can mobilize believers to stand up for their religious freedom by pushing back and making submissions against the Papuda Amendment Bill. You can go to www.4sa.org.za to download one of these template emails and make a submission to the government. What would you comment on the spiritual state of the nation and what would you say this, the current spiritual state of our nation is in? Sure, that's not an easy question. Um, so Linda, I think, as I said just now, I think we claim to be 80% Christians in South Africa. But if we look at the spiritual state of our nation, um, what do we see? <laughs> do we really see Christians who are in every area of, of where they are placed and where they are able to exert influence in their families? We would live in a very different country. So I think for those of us who, who are born again Christians, I think it's very important for us to, to recognize, um, like the sons of Issachar in the word of God, you know, to recognize the signs of the times, um, to, to recognize that you know, it's, we are living in the, in the last of days where people are lovers of self, you know, where, where the, the, the love of many has grown cold, but Jesus is coming back and he's coming back for a, for a pure and spotless bride who are ready to meet the king, you know, and so it's time for us to, I think, to recognize the signs of the times, but also to know what to, what to do about it, and that is to prepare um, ourselves and our families and our churches for Jesus is coming, but also part of that, I would say, is, and that's why it's a gospel mandate, is to partner with Forest Iron to make sure that the doors for the gospel open so that many more people can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and be ready for, for our King's return. Absolutely. Nadine, thank you so much for your time and for making us more aware of these threats that we as Christians are facing and the action that we can take yeah, we as a nation really need to come together and stand up 
against this bill. Absolutely. So we as Christians should not be silenced or compromise our faith and allow this discrimination to take away our religious freedom. If you would like more information or to contact us, you can email info at christianaction.org.za or phone us on 021-689-4481 or visit our website at www.christianaction.org.za. I will end off with a verse from Isaiah 59 verse 19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Thank you very much, Nadine. Thank you, Delinda. And have a good evening to the listeners. God bless. Bye-bye.